Come on. One white blood. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to our monthly book club, and welcome our author, the strong and powerful Robin Wigglesworth. Welcome, Robin. Thanks, George. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to have you on. Robin is the global finance correspondent with the Financial Times. His newest book is Trillions: How a Handful of Wall Street Renegades Reinvented Invented the Index Fund and Change Finance Forever. Robin, I'm excited to have you on. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Well, so I'm the global finance correspondent at the FT, uh, the Financial Times. It's just a fancy way of saying I cover basically anything that touches money around the world. So I write both columns and long reports and weekend features. Um, and I kind of ended up doing that by chance. You know, I dreamed of being a war correspondent like many young uh, journalist students. Uh, but the more I kind of spent time looking at it, the more I realized that some finance and economics is kind of the hidden wiring that underpins the world, that the world makes, I want to say a lot of sense, but it makes maybe a, a little bit more sense if you understand money and its role in the world. Um, and, you know, I did get to be a war correspondent briefly for the FT. I covered the Arab Springs. So I spent some time in Bahrain and Benghazi uh, during the civil wars there. Uh, but financial journalism was my first love in many respects, professional love. And it's just endlessly fascinating. So that's what I do. And then on the side, I managed to carve out some time during the pandemic uh, to write a book about index funds and passive investing, because I think, frankly, it's just this mammoth force that's reshaping a lot of things in ways that I think many people aren't even aware of, because it kind of get, it doesn't get covered that well. So when you said about doing that, what, what, what was, was it a, a, was it a matter of, I want to write a book. And now that I've decided I want to do that, I look out at all the myriad of topics how did you settle on 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 this one no and i've talked to other authors about this and there are some people who just really want to write a book and think they have a book in them and then look for a suitable subject uh, at one point i did look at i want to write a book and i looked for a subject couldn't find something i was interested in enough uh this one was it was just a great subject that essentially started off as a magazine piece so at the ft you have to really focus on what you cover we can't cover absolutely everything so a Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg, they've got like 2,000 journalists each. We only have a few hundreds. We have to be more like special forces. We have to pick our battles and be strategic. And for me, you know, lots of hedge funds and private equity barons get really well covered because they're big personalities. They're kind of celebrities. They're the Kim Kardashians of the financial world. Index funds are kind of inherently boring because there is no person there. Mm -hmm. They just basically buy the entire stock market. But they were so big. So I was spending more and more time writing about it for the FT um, because it was this, this kind of, it's like um, a tide that's kind of reshaping everything around it. And, you know, then I started writing a magazine piece about the genesis of index funds, like how they're invented and, and why they've grown into this phenomenon, what the potential downsides are. And that magazine piece got some publishers interested. So I wrote up a proposal and sent it in. And luckily, Penguin was kind enough to back the idea. Uh, and lo and behold, Trillions was born a couple of years later. Nice. And when you made the decision, you, you wrote the magazine piece, you, you, you put together a 
the executive summary, for lack of a better term. Penguin says, let's go. Then you think, okay, what am I going to write here? I can't imagine you wanted to write a boring book. No. So, um, I mean, frankly, yes, the world does not need another boring financial book. <laughs> let's um, so the, the authors I really admire and the books I really love are quite often ones that maybe tell you a story that you vaguely are familiar with already, but through an unusual hero. So, for example, uh, there's a book by a guy called William Bernstein about the history of trade. It's basically a history of the world, but through the prism of trade and how trade has shaped the world. And for somebody who loves history and studied history, I thought it was just it was a wonderful way of, of looking at events that I knew about, but to, from a different perspective. Uh, same thing with religion, for example. Uh, there's a book in my bookshelf I haven't read that tells the history of salt. Um, in finance as well, there are many books that, frankly, tell a broader story about maybe how business or finance have evolved, but through the prism of a group of heroes or, or, or antagonists. So think of when genius failed, about the fail of the LTCM hedge fund, uh, or, you know, the classic case is Michael Lewis. Michael Lewis writes best-selling books about finance because he writes about people. Because fundamentally, there are always people at the center of these things. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. So I didn't want to write another dummy's guide to kind of how to manage your investments. You know, frankly, people can pick that up from Wikipedia better than I can give them that information. But I wanted to maybe highlight the individual people who invented the index fund, the massive odds they had to overcome, and how they disrupted the investment industry in just a radical way. And these were people that basically invented the electric car in the era of the horse. People either laughed at them or hated them for a very long time. But now the index fund universe is $20 trillion. And that's, there's a reason why I call the book Trillions. $20 trillion is more than the entire hedge fund, private equity, and venture capital industries combined. So I just felt that, that warranted a book about like how this wild phenomenon kind of came into being, really. I, I, I'm think about it, right? It's so where was that money before? Was it in just traditional active mutual funds? Basically, yes. I mean, so 20 trillion, there wasn't 20 trillion dollars worth of money in the world, you know, 50 years ago when the index fund was first born. Obviously, the entire world has luckily gotten wealthier. Uh, but yes, I mean, through centuries. And you can see this through like old books and, and pamphlets about the Mississippi company bubble or the South Sea bubble back in the day, or even the Dutch tulip mania. You know, broadly speaking, people either invested money themselves if they had the means, they were wealthy individuals, or they eventually gave it to a professional. So a couple of centuries ago, they were known as trusts. And then over the past century, it's been a mutual fund. So that's how the vast majority of Americans save money. Either they save in a pension plan and the pension trustees give that money to an, a professional fund manager, or, or they invest directly into a mutual fund. Uh, and what people kind of always had discovered to their chagrin after every big stock market vomit over the years, you know, whether it's, yeah, the, the South Sea bubble or the Great Depression, uh, that actually even the professionals do a pretty bad job. And even the ones that look like geniuses in the bull run end up being kind of the proverbial emperors with no clothes uh, when the tide recedes. And um, the thing is, people kind of saw this occasionally, but there was no alternative. 
sometimes occasionally people will say, well, you can't even buy the market average. You can't buy the entire market anyway, so suck it up. Uh, and people can actually prove that you know, active managers did a bad job until really the advent of the computer era. And for me, like I wrote a book about history, the finance of history and the history of investing with index funds is kind of my unlikely hero in the middle of it. But really it's almost a, a history of the, the computer era and how that reshaped finance as well. Because you can see index funds as the first evidence of, sort of what venture capitalists call software eating the world kind of what an index fund is it's an algorithm that says buy all the stocks in the entire stock market and initially that actually had to be executed by humans hmm. but the proof all the way it was planned and designed was done with the first sort of generation of mainframe computers it's fascinating when 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 an ordinary investor today thinks about index funds they probably think about vanguard you agree with that yeah, yeah. i mean and and rightly so especially in the US. Uh, I, I was lucky to, enough to talk to Jack Bogle, the founder of Vanguard, several times before he sadly passed away in, in 2019. And, you know, he's one of my heroes and, and, and rightly the hero of, of millions of people. Um, but I think, um, somewhat controversially, there's a gap between the legend of St. Jack, as he was known, and the reality of Jack Bogle. Uh, Jack Bogle was not always an index fund fan. In fact, he used to be in the active management industry at a fund management company called Wellington that Vanguard eventually sprung out of. And under a pseudonym, he wrote uh, an article basically rubbishing the idea of index funds <laughs> in 1960, just completely crapping on them. And, you know, even when he did set up Vanguard, he didn't do index funds because he was a massive believer in passive investing. He only did it because essentially it was the only thing that they could do as part of Vanguard's divorce agreement with Wellington, where he used to work. So it's kind of happenstance. And I, I always love that about people, like how do we become who we are and, and the gap between how we see ourselves and sometimes portray ourselves and the reality. So speaking to a lot of friends and, and colleagues of Jack Bogle, who all loved him and admired him enormously, but maybe seeing the slightly more complicated reality was really interesting. And I frankly think he's an even bigger hero of mine because of it, because I like my heroes complicated. I like them being multidimensional human beings. I want them having flaws. I want them being assholes occasionally. Jack Bogle could be an asshole. Um, but yes, he was, I think, still, even though he didn't invent index funds and kind of fell into it by accident, I still think he did more than probably anybody on the planet to popularize them and bring them into the public sphere. Yeah, fascinating. I, I appreciate that. So as you are trying to come up with, with, with an outline, is, is, is that how you wrote your book? You said, okay, got all this information. Just kind of walk us through that. Well, I mean, I'm sure you, I mean, talk to so many authors that you know, everybody's got a very different uh, style and everybody can always get better in their approach and methodology. But I'm a big believer that everybody does have, like, there's a methodology that suits people well or doesn't suit it well. Like, I work best in the evenings and then the nights. That's when I write best and I write the most. Um, when it comes to structure, I don't really write a very clear structure ahead of time. I actually structure it as I write and then continually go back and iterate and change and change and tighten and tweak and then do occasionally surgery as well. 
especially obviously you know when you've got like world-class editors at somewhere like penguin that helps as well but i mean i'm naturally pretty structured in my writing and that, that that's how i think about stuff so i'd rather write a lot and then go back and do surgery ideally cosmetic but maybe something something major than plan out something entirely and then start writing and realize that that plan doesn't actually work in practice it's a bit like I, I always think of it like generals always say, you know, the plan of battle never survives the first contact with enemy. I feel any sort of writing plan that I've ever had doesn't really survive first contact with actual writing. Um, but I had I wanted to do essentially for me, it was I wanted to do a chronological history. Frankly, it's, it's the easiest structure. It, it, it's naturally kind of flows narratively and for readers and for the writers. So it's, it's an easy thing, but I didn't want to dump people in the middle. I mean, I start my book in, in 19th century France with the, the sort of the original, the granddaddy that sort of uh, set the intellectual foundation stones of index funds. And that I feel is a little bit unkind to the reader, uh, you know, starting with an obscure French mathematician called Louis Bacalier. So I started with Jack uh, Warren Buffett. And think of it in terms of a film. You want to tell a story, like a, a gripping start that gets people hooked. Then you zoom back maybe at the beginning of the story, and then you gradually lay it out over time. And then ideally, you have a few characters come and go. I mean, the advantage that uh, Michael Lewis has, or has in his books sometimes, he focuses on a specific time frame. So you have the same characters. You get to know them a lot better. I found that the hardest part that, you know, I cover over a hundred years of history and there are some characters that crop up again and again, but broadly speaking, you know, half the people in any chapter you won't hear from again. And that makes it narratively more challenging. So it requires more of the writing. I think you really need to flesh them out, but not waste readers time with inconsequential details about inconsequential characters. That you're never going to see again, essentially. Yeah. I appreciate that. I imagine it would be unique some great, some frustrating to be a professional writer and to do things the way that you've been doing them. And then all of a sudden you have a stranger who is now your editor. Well, I think all writers complain about this <laughs> and, but, you know, but all writers, like I, I've both been an editor and a writer. Right. Um, and I think Look, I mean, it's easier for a professional journalist. Like, I deal with editors every day. I think for people not used to it, uh, that can be quite challenging. So non-professional writers, whether they're even academics or, or whatever. Um, but I think people need to approach it in the sense that, you know, most things are better done in coordination with somebody else. And that editor or sub-editor in newspapers. So you have people that literally like check line by line. They're not there to kind of sabotage you. You can disagree with them, but they're there to help you. So you fundamentally need to treat it that way. These are people that have kindly given their time to help you become a better writer and write something better. Now, occasionally you might disagree with them. I mean, luckily I have to admit in this book, it was a, a pure joy. Um, it was it was very light, but partially you know, because I think you know I'm you know used to writing. Um, but you know it's tricky. But you yeah you just need to keep in the mindset even when you argue. I'm I'm okay with people arguing both with me or I argue with them. I think that's 
that's kind of important and it's better to be direct and honest about disagreements about what copy looks like or structure but fundamentally always keep in mind that they're not doing it to be mean they're doing it to help you uh so always keeping that front and center i think is really important everybody's rolling in the right direction nobody's out to get you robin <laughs> yeah exactly well some people are but uh mostly russian trolls on twitter right you're right right so when, when when somebody picks up a copy of trillions what are you hoping that they get out of it that's a great question actually um so i mean this sounds very grandiose, but you know, going back to my original point, I like those books that really tell you a broader story through the prism of this, uh, an unlikely protagonist, maybe. I hope that people actually almost through osmosis of reading this book, you know, learn something about investing in finance and how investing in finance and mark, financial markets have evolved over a century. And, you know, the index fund and how it was invented, the people that did it, these renegades, because they really were renegades at the time. This was not, you know, uh, a popular thing to do to disrupt your own industry. Um, they are the, they're the central characters. But the broad, broader tapestry is what I hope people get away from it as well, that, you know, you don't need to know the minutiae of how an exchange traded fund functions and trades. You don't really need to understand securities lending and all this financial jargon to understand, maybe hopefully come away from the book with a finer appreciation of how markets and investing works that will have, first of all, first of all, just be a really interesting yarn, a great tale for you to enjoy. Um, but also you'll be better in your own personal finances you'll manage your money better. You know that when that smooth talking stockbroker tries to sell you on some hot tip or that fund manager that looks like he's got a great track record of fidelity, you just approach that with a slightly more skeptical view that you will be both a smarter person, but also a better investor after reading the book. I hope at least. Love it. Love it. Well, Robin, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for your time. Thank you for writing the book. Where can people learn more about you? How can they engage with you? And where can they get a copy of Trillions, How a Band of Wall Street Renegades Invented the Index Fund and Changed Finance Forever? Well, the book, luckily, thanks to Penguin support, is found in all good and hopefully even in the bad bookstores around the world. So I always <laughs> kind of urge people to check out their local bookstore to, to support them. But if not, then, you know, Amazon and so forth will have it. I'm, like many journalists, far too active on Twitter. So that's the best place to, to send me praise or, or criticism or say I've got a silly last name. Uh, I get that quite a lot with a name like Wigglesworth. <laughs> and yeah, but I, I also want to say email. There aren't that many people with that last name. So it's robin.wigglesworth.ft.com. Send me an email. Uh, and because I do kind of think that journalism as well is better when it's kind of a two-way street. That It doesn't sort of... It isn't journalists talking at people, but talking with people. Uh, so I, I always enjoy that part as well. Love it. Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show Robin your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Pick up a copy of <clears throat> Trillions, How a Handful of Wall Street Renegades Invented the Index Fund and Changed Finance Forever at your local bookstore or wherever you enjoy consuming, buying books. And you can find Robin on Twitter as well and shoot him an email and get in touch and read his work on the at the FT as well. Thanks again, Robin. No, thanks, George. Love being on it. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together.